0: pastor and I were talk- we were talking a couple of months ago and uh, of course as you're well aware the focus and emphasis here is uh, discipleship and I shared with him a few things I had been looking at and then he asked me to teach this lesson and I've never taught this lesson before and so we'll see how it goes all things being considered. (laughs) I'm living this lesson right now, praise God. Um, If you'll go to Romans chapter 1, I've got a lot of scriptures, and is there some, are they going to be on the screen? Okay. Romans chapter 1, beginning with verse 16. For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For therein is the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, the just shall live by faith. The righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith. This is a very important concept. For us to get, uh, I think humans have always basically been this way, but in our generation or this particular time in our culture, we expect everything to work perfectly from the beginning of it. And uh, when a person gets saved, uh The person being saved expects to now be perfect. And a lot of the people who aren't perfect but are pretending to be, who are Christians, they expect that person to be perfect from the beginning. That's not biblical. And what that does, it sets you up for failure. And then it sets you up for discouragement. And then comes... Uh, depression, and finally you just quit and give up because you can't be perfect enough. This is not an excuse. It's not excusing anything. It's simply acknowledging what the Word of God says. I've had the baptism of the Holy Ghost now 60 years and about six months. Uh, actually, six months next month. And, uh, I will tell you this. When Peter said, grow in grace and in the knowledge of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, uh, he didn't mean that for brand new people. He meant that for everybody. There's never a time that we stop growing or that we should stop growing. There's never a time that we don't, uh, that we stop striving to be, more and more what Jesus would have us to be. This is not an automatic process. It's also not an easy process. In fact, it's impossible to do through human strength and ability and human will. It is impossible to grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, except by grace. It's impossible. Uh, there are some people who have the strength of will, the strength of uh, determination. They're just really focused people. They're just really uh, strong-willed people, and they they accomplish they get stuff done. The problem is with people like that; uh, they take the credit for what they do, and rightfully so, because it was sure wasn't God doing it. I personally am of the opinion, and have been for a long time, that failure is one of my greatest blessings because anything that reminds me that without him i can do nothing is a blessing to me again i'm not excusing failure this is not a cop out it's just an acknowledgement of truth when paul said in second corinthians chapter 5 verse 17 uh for as many as are baptized No, that's not the one. Many baptized into Christ have put on Christ. If any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. I know people, I know preachers that have preached that's supposed to happen the moment you're saved. I know a lot of people that think that's what's supposed to have happened the moment you got saved. But I don't believe that at all. And I've got scriptures to prove that. I believe that is a promise of a spiritual destination. It's a spiritual destination. It's not, it's not something that you and I can attain to from the beginning. In fact, maybe I shouldn't be so transparent with you, but I will be. I got some old things that aren't dead yet. And if somebody tells me all your old things have passed away and everything is brand new, I'd love to pray with you for that spirit of lying. Because you're not very honest, especially with yourself. You're not being honest with yourself. Now, Paul, Paul wrote something that's very... uh I'm right-handed. This is kind of awkward. Paul wrote something that is is not the friend of those who believe in instantaneous perfection. Romans chapter 7 verse 14, I'm going to read several scriptures here, just so you'd get the context. This is Paul. This is Paul not before he was saved, quote unquote. This is Paul after he was saved. Verse 14. For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am carnal, sold under sin. For that which I do, I allow not. For what I would, that do I not. But what I hate, that do I. If then I do that which I would not, I consent under the law that it is good. Now then it is no more I that do it, but sin that dwelleth in me. For I know that in me, that is in my flesh, dwelleth no good thing. For to will is present with me. But how to perform that which is good, I find not. I, Paul is saying, I, I'm able to desire, to make a, to, to, to have a desire. The word will there is thelema in the Greek. It's wish, want, or desire. I have the ability to desire to do what's good. But through my, uh, my human ability, I don't know how to accomplish that. For the verse 19, for the good that I would, I do not, but the evil which I would not, that I do. Now if I do that, I would not. It is no more I that do it, but sin that dwelleth in me. I find then a law that when I would do good, evil is present with me. For I delight in the law of God after the inward man. But I see another law in my members, warring against the law of my mind and bringing me into captivity into the law of sin, which is in my members. O wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from this body of death? Not from this dead body, but from this body whose actions produces death. James said, the wages of sin is death. Every man is tempted when he is drawn away of his own lust and enticed. And when the lust hath conceived, it brings forth sin. And when sin is finished, it brings forth death. This body tends to death. That's the tendency of this body. In my flesh, there's no good thing. Now, I realize that in our current culture, we, we believe in all this, uh, all men are inherently good, and uh, because of that, uh, you, you know, uh, everybody's got God in them. That's a favorite one. The only place God exists is within each person, and everybody has God in them, and everybody's inherently good. Really, that's... Boy, God's messed up then, isn't He? Because He can't get it right. This is the problem in our culture, and it's going to become more and more the problem. And that is... (laughs) There's going to be more and more of a conflict between those that believe the Bible and those that do not. Because what the Bible says is diametrically opposed to most things that are believed by our culture today. And you will make a decision which of those two you're going to follow. You will at some point. You will. You're going to make a decision whether you're going to please man and believe what they say or, or choose God and, and believe what he says. And let's face facts. There may be a price to pay for that. We don't want to hear that. We want, we want all things to continue as they are. We just want to go to church and be invisible to the world, and they don't even know we're here. And we get to be our, be good little Christians and keep the uh, premiums paid on our eternal life insurance policy, so that when we die, people will be able to say nice things about us at our funeral. And uh, and and you know, it's okay if the world doesn't know we're a Christian. Well. Jesus said, if you're ashamed of me before men, I'm going to be ashamed of you before my Father which is in heaven. If you're ashamed of me before men, it's not man that's going to produce this situation that results in you having to make a decision. True Christianity is very much like biblical marriage. There are no... God God doesn't believe in open marriages. I unfortunately read a statement the other day I wasn't looking to read by a very well-known celebrity who said, just as long as my wife comes home to me at night, I'm not worried about what else she's involved in and who she's with. (laughs) Really? You're kidding. Sorry, I'm not willing to live that kind of life. I would be very disappointed in my wife if she accepted that. Just as long as he comes home at night, I don't care what he's doing and who he's with. But we want to transpose those feelings onto God. And it's it's supposed to be okay with God if we flirt with the world if we're a friend of the world if we love the world but you know uh if we're ignorant of his feelings it's because we don't read the bible scripture says love not the world neither the things that are in the world if any man love the world the love of the father is not in him for all that's in the world the lust of the eyes the lust of the flesh and pride of life is not of the father but of the world the world passeth away, but the love of the Father endures forever. James said that friendship with the world is enmity with God. That's not talking about people, okay? We're supposed to love everybody. There's another. Habitual liar I'd like to pray for here in this room is somebody that says, I like everything about myself. Because if you say that, you need prayer really bad. Because you don't even know how to be honest with yourself. And (laughs) We had a picture made, my wife and I, a few months ago. And it's hanging on the wall and I was sitting there in my self-imposed stupor, uh, just trying to pass the day. In my chair, sitting there trying not to think about my leg hurting. And I looked up and I saw that picture, and I was looking at it at an angle, and I didn't recognize the person in the picture. He looked really old. And the way it was lit at an angle looked like he was bald-headed. That was before the haircut. If you like everything about yourself, you better quit while you're young because I promise you age is going to fix that. So the idea that I can't love you Unless I approve of everything about you and everything you do and all your choices, that I can't love you unless I approve of all of them. I don't even, I don't use profanity, so there's just only so many words I can use for something so stupid. Ludicrous, ridiculous. Etc., etc. You know what? If that's what love is, we're all hopeless. Because the book teaches the Lord loves the sinner but hates the sin. But our world says that's impossible. You can't love me unless you love my sin too. Oh, and by the way, you can't call it my sin, it's my choices. But, (laughs) oh Jesus. I'm talking about discipleship. I can't become a disciple unless I first acknowledge what I'm not. Who I'm not. I can't become like Christ till I first acknowledge that it's impossible for me to be like Christ through my own ability. Through my own strength. Only the grace of God can empower me to let Christ live through me. Uh, Philippians 2.13 says, For it is God which worketh in us both to will and to do of his good pleasure. Would you like a really simple definition of discipleship? Living a life that's pleasing to God. And the degree of my discipleship is determined by how much of my life pleases God versus how much does not. Now, (laughs) how about uh, 1 John chapter 1, we'll start with verse 5. I'll read several verses here. If you would allow me, I'm just going to read it from the screen. It's easier to do that. This then is the message which we have heard of him and declare unto you that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. In fact, I know probably in high school physics they taught you this, that uh, the definition of darkness is the absence of light. Therefore, darkness and light cannot coexist because the definition of one is the absence of the other. It is physically impossible. It's mathematically impossible for darkness to, and light to coexist. Well, what about shade and shadow? That's not a... <laughs> that's, that's man's doing right there, isn't it? If we say that we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness... We lie and do not the truth. Now, I I know I have a reputation for being kind of direct. And so, people who speak words of love, they're not near this direct. Oh, by the way, this is written by John the Apostle of Love. And some of the most direct statements in all of the Bible are in First John. Some of the most direct. This is pretty direct, isn't it? If we say we have fellowship with Him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not the truth. That's not going around the corner, is it? How about the next verse? But if we walk in the light as He is in the light, we have fellowship one with another. And the blood of Jesus Christ His Son cleanseth us from all sin. What does it mean we have fellowship one with another? That means we're a part of the body. We're an active Faithful participant with the body. I didn't say an organization, a structure, a church. I'm talking about the body of Christ. Why? Because the blood is in the body. There's no access to blood to be cleansed of your sins from outside of the body. Well, I I can't go to that church because, uh, you know, this one's there and that one's there and this one's... Really? So you can only go to a church where everybody's just like you? Then you have no way to demonstrate that the love of God and the grace of God's at work in you. So we think there's going to be a Hispanic <laughs> heaven and a Filipino heaven and a and a, a African American heaven and a Caribbean island heaven and a European heaven and a We think that? We think that? And a upper class heaven and a lower class heaven and a somewhere in the middle heaven. Really? then there's going to be a heaven for the educated and a heaven for the uneducated. Seriously? Well, I just can't fellowship with those kind of folks here. Then you can't go to heaven. Because that which will get you to heaven, the grace of God at work in you, is what allows you to love people that aren't like you. And if you can only fellowship with people like you, you've got no grace of God working in you. That's not my words. Next verse. If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. We're talking about discipleship. We're talking about pleasing the Father. Next verse. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. But I can't be forgiven of that that I won't acknowledge as sin. How about this one? I made a mistake the other day. Well, get your eraser out, I guess, because you're going to need it because the blood can't cover mistakes. The blood only covers sins. Hello? The blood of Jesus only forgives sins. It doesn't forgive mistakes. He never calls them mistakes. He calls them sins. And if I'm not willing to acknowledge it's sin, then the blood can't cover it. Next verse. If we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. How can I be a disciple of someone that I make out to be a liar? Let's go on a little bit here. This is get this gets really interesting as it goes on. Next verse, which is John 2, 1. 1 John 1, 2, 1. Okay. My little children, these things write I unto you that you sin not. And if any man sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. Next verse. And he is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. And hereby we do know that we know Him. What's it say? This is gentle John. Just gentle, round the bend John, who's just so, he sugarcoats everything and makes it really, really easy to swallow. I've never been a big medicine taker, but, oh, Lord, have mercy on me. This last several months i'm taking handfuls at a time. My wife says it's affecting me. It probably is. she won't be specific how it's affecting me, but apparently it's not good <laughs> that's the implication she's not willing to be specific about how it's affecting me but i you know i i I've never I've never taken a lot of med- medication, and you put all that stuff in you, and uh, I've, I've learned how to take five or six big pills at one time. You put them all in your mouth, and you take a big, big, big gulp of water and swallow the water, and the pills just disappear. Because they're all coated in such a way, it makes them easier to swallow. Somebody didn't teach John that. He didn't. Nobody taught John, the apostle of love, how to sugarcoat stuff. Hereby we do know that that we know him if we keep his commandments. Next verse. He that saith I know him and keepeth not his commandments is a liar, and the truth is not in him. I, I remind you again. This is sweet. Kind, loving John. This isn't Peter. This isn't old hard to get along with Paul. This is John. But who so keepeth his word, in him it verily is the love of God perfected. What? Oh, love, love, love. That's what all this is supposed to be about is love. I agree with you. And so how do you fellowship with the love of God? By keeping His Word. Hereby know we that we are in Him. That won't be preached. This won't be preached in very many pulpits today across this country. Because that doesn't fit with most current church doctrine. Because it's hard to build a crowd telling people they don't know God if they fellowship habitually with sin. Now, oh Lord, have mercy. The pastor will be back next week. <laughs> Probably another couple of months before you see me again. So, hopefully, you'll get over it. We're talking about discipleship. We're talking about discipleship. Now, the problem is, let's go back to verse. Uh, what would that be? Try four again. He that saith I know him and keep it is that. Let's try three. Hereby we do know that we know Him if we keep His commandments. For He that saith, I know Him, and keepeth not His commandments, is a liar, and the truth is not in Him. Five. But whoso keepeth His word in Him verily is the love of God perfected. Hereby know we that we are in Him. Now, that's, these verses are kind of like Second Corinthians 5, 17. To any man that be in Christ, he's a new creature. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. This is the goal. The problem is, John just wrote earlier in this same book, if I say I have no sin, and what is sin? Ultimately, it's a violation of the word of God, whether directly or indirectly. If I say I have no sin, I make him a liar. So if he's saying that if I say I have no sin, I'm a liar or I make him a liar. And then he comes and he speaks of such perfection. He's obviously using these verses as a goal. Because I'll tell you this, if you have to live that perfectly, then somebody else needs to take this microphone because I've never done it. Therefore, I really appreciate chapter 1. Because it says if we confess our sins, He's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And if I fellowship, if we have fellowship one with another, the blood of Jesus Christ, His Son, cleanseth us from all sins. Because this is a process. Discipleship is a process. It's not an event. That's like somebody that's still standing before the crowd. They've exchanged vows. They've exchanged rings and now they've exchanged the kiss and they're standing there while the preacher introduces Mr. and Mrs. John Doe. And they say, we're finally married. Mm, not really you've finally begun the journey to figure out how to be married. You're married legally, and in the eyes of God, you now have the right to become one and begin the journey to understand how to be married. But if you've got off the road of the journey, you're not married, you're existing together. As most of you probably know, November the 1st this year is 50 years. June the 7th, which I thought I, you know, you think you write stuff, you think you're being clear and people read what they want to read. And I was being very clear in my mind that June the 7th was the 50th anniversary of us meeting. I guess it's no big deal. Except that I wasn't married those five months. I would have, It would have been nice to have been married, I guess. But you say, well, you just met. It wouldn't have been one bit easier being married the day after we met than five months later. I didn't know her any better five months later, and she didn't know me. That's why some of you wonder why we don't do premarital counseling. You're welcome to it. We'll find somebody to do it for you. But I stopped doing it years ago. You know why? People don't pay attention. Nobody knows more about marriage than two people sitting there that are engaged planning to get married. They're absolutely sure they're experts. And they don't listen to a word you say. And then you've already covered all of this. And six months later they're sitting in your office again needing counseling. And you're telling them all over again the same exact stuff you tried to tell them in premarital counseling that they didn't listen to. And finally one day I said, what am I doing? If I've got to tell them this stuff after the fact anyway, why should I bother telling them stuff they're not going to listen to? Because they're sure, they're so in love that their marriage is going to be perfect. Really? I wonder why... (laughs) When we get saved, it the Lord doesn't automatically, instantaneously transform us all into angelic beings with no sin in us and no human nature and no fleshly nature. I wonder why He doesn't do that. Why would He leave us like this? He takes all my sin away and I'm born again on some level, some place I'm born again. But this flesh didn't get born again. Paul said it this way in Galatians 5.16. Walk in the Spirit and you will not fulfill the lust of the flesh. You know, sometimes we have to look what the Bible doesn't say. It doesn't say walk in the Spirit and you won't have any lust of the flesh. It doesn't say become a Christian and your members are automatically going to please God. Paul said, I don't, I don't know what to do inside here. I'm able to determine I want to do right, but there is another law in my members that doesn't want to do right. There's another law in my members. It wants its own way. It's It wants to be entertained. God is so smart. I know people that they just have a big time problem with why there was one tree in the garden they couldn't eat of. I... Uh, I dated a few people before I met my wife. In fact, I was engaged. And the engagement was broken before we met. So I had other options. So when I stood before the preacher on the evening of November the 1st, 1968, I was standing there exercising a choice. I chose her over all other options. I chose her. And I vowed to forsake all others and keep myself for her only so long as we both shall live. But I had a choice. The two of us were not on a desert island where we were the only ones there. How in, how in the world, if we were the only two people on a, on a desert island, how would she ever know I chose her? If I had no other options, how would she know I chose her? So with all the perfection in the garden, there had to be a choice. Because love is a choice. And if I don't have a choice, I can't make the right choice. I have no way to demonstrate my love by making a choice. Therefore, because the Lord wants us to grow, He wants us to grow in our knowledge of Him, I believe my wife loved me when we got married. I believe she did. But it, I believe she would stand here today and say, if you had a choice, would you go back to the uh, <laughs> the fellow with hair and a whole lot less weight? Would you go back to that fellow? I honestly believe if she had a choice between that guy and this guy today, I don't believe she'd take that guy. I wouldn't take that guy. Because I'm not the same guy today I was then. This is what life is about. Life is not about existing. It's not about working hard so you can retire and to spend the rest of your days waiting for your last breath. Life is not about trying to make as much money you can and buy all the toys you can. That's not what life is about. Life is about growing as a person. I've had people say to me, you know, if it had been a sinner that treated me this way, it'd be it'd be a lot easier to forgive him." but I was treated this way by somebody that's a Christian that ought to know better. Yeah, what a great opportunity for you to show your growth. What a great opportunity for you to show your growth. Well, they're a Christian. They ought to know better. Yeah. Peter had just been given the keys to the kingdom and rebuked Jesus for saying he was going to be crucified. And Jesus said, get behind me, Satan. You don't understand the things that be of God. He had just asked the question. Who who do men say that I am? And Peter said, You're the Christ, the Son of the living God. (laughs) And then Peter says, Far be it from you, Lord. You're not going to be crucified. I'm paraphrasing. And Jesus said, Get behind me, devil. You don't understand the things that be of God. Well, the man that was just given the keys of the kingdom because... He had a revelation from the Father who Jesus was, is now rebuked because he didn't understand the things of God. Really? Yeah. The bumper sticker, Christians are not perfect, just forgiven. I'm going to make a very shocking statement to some of you. I have been a, I've been alive long enough and been a Christian long enough. Perfection is not my goal. I don't want to preach the message from the next hour, but I'll give you a little taste. For a biblical believer, a believer by the biblical definition of a believer, there's only two things they seek for each day for themselves to find, know, and do the will of God, and to have peace. Everything else having to do with being a Christian can be summed up in those two things right there. To seek for, find, know, and do the will of God. And to seek for and walk in peace every day. And (laughs) I'll be honest with you. When the Lord tried to teach me those things as a young man, young preacher, young Christian... I rejected it because it wasn't complicated enough. I wanted something complicated so that when I achieved it, I would feel like I'd succeeded at something. But the more I tried to succeed, the more I failed. And then when you finally confront your failure, you have a decision to make. Are you going to continue to be a Christian or are you going to walk away from it? The problem is, you can walk away from God, but you can't walk away from yourself. You can turn your back on God, but you can't turn your back on yourself. Well, there's suicide. No, that's probably the worst decision you could possibly ever make because all you've done is cut your time short to have an opportunity to be saved. We use terminology that's not biblical. I'm saved. Nah. And I know there's some that believe that once you're saved, you're always saved. Really? So you become an automaton when you get saved? You lose the right to choose? You chose to be saved, but now you can't choose to be unsaved. So you've lost free will. Salvation causes, costs you your free will. No, that's impossible. In this life, there's one thing the Lord's never going to do. He's never going to violate your free will. There's nothing I have ever done that wasn't my choice. I had the right to make a choice. I had to make a choice. In this life, everything is by choice. That's what discipleship is. Discipleship is growing in grace and in the knowledge of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. It is growing in knowing Him. It is growing in in desiring to please Him. And uh, I don't know about you, but for me, I wish I could say that I maintain the same level of focus on that every day, but I don't. I know for some of you I'm being a little bit too honest. But life is life. You know, (laughs) there are people in this room with a lot worse medical conditions than I have, and so I'm not asking for your pity. But I, frankly, you know, it's, I'm having a little hard time focusing when I can't find a comfortable position in the bed now for almost eight weeks where I can't have one night's sleep without pain. That's, you know, it, your life kind of gets focused on that. So I'm talking to myself here today. You understand that? The Lord does that with me a lot. It's hard to stay focused when you're in constant pain. I understand that. But the problem is, nobody nobody ever has a life where you may have more than one or two perfect days at a time. And that and the only reason that day appears to be perfect, because there's trouble that you don't know about yet. Why? Because Jesus said. The last words of Jesus before he was crucified in in his teaching to the apostles. John sixteen thirty three. These things have I spoken unto you that in me you might have peace. In the world you shall have tribulation. The Greek word there is stilipsis which means trouble, pain, problems, difficulty. Well God's not being very kind. No, he's being very kind. He allows all that to keep you reminded. This is just... A temporary time. You may think 70 years sounds long. (laughs) Trust me. I know from experience that 70 years is a blink of an eye. The days drag by and the years fly by. See, I'm weird. I think of it like this. I'm now seven and a half years from 80. 80? You kidding me? I haven't made peace with being 70 yet. (laughs) Seven and a half years from 80. You know, I get to thinking about, I'd like to see my grandchildren grow up till I determine how old I'll be when they get grown up. No, they can wait. We're going to slow their growing up down just a little bit. I'm not a fatalist. I'm not a negative person. Uh, I believe I'm a realist. And biblically, I'm a literalist. I, I, you know... I had a lot of fun with both my boys before they were born. I want them to know who was in charge. So in our private moments, I would they'd stick a foot out, you could see it was a foot, I'd tickle it, they'd move it. We just we played that game a while, so when they got here, they'd know who Dad was. They knew who Mom was, but I want them to know who Dad was. He's the guy that has been tormenting me every once in a while. But you know something? Babies don't really want to stay in that place. They have nothing to do. They don't have any pressure. Food is served to them. Nutrition is served to them. They don't have any pressure in their life at all, but they're in a hurry to get out of there because God has designed it so that the longer it goes, the more confining and restricting it is. There's an old Pentecostal song that goes this way. The world is not my home. I'm just passing through. The scripture talks about eternal life. This is what's so amazing about God. When you, when you study the, the physiology of the, of the body and see the details he put into designing the human body, and all the effort he went into of, with creating nature and the universe. All of this. And all of this is temporary. If he put this much effort into that which is temporary, what in, what, how much effort has he put into planning forever? But the problem is, dear one, to make it to forever in the desired position, you, can, you and I can only make it as a part of the body of Christ, which is the bride of Christ, which we, means we have to make a decision to choose him above all others. It's discipleship. I thought I loved my wife when we got married, but compared to how much I loved her when we were married 10 years, I really didn't love her. I thought I loved her when we were married 10 years, but the way I loved her at 20, I wouldn't, I, I, the way I loved her at 10 was not acceptable. And when I thought I loved her at 20, but at 30, no. You get the picture. I don't have to carry that all the way through, right? I can't imagine our relationship being better. But if it continues to improve the way it has, because we work at it, I can't imagine, and there's some of you here, that's sadly in this situation, my choice of a person to spend time with and I love I love my brethren I love the people of God I love my family but if I have a choice who I'm going to spend time with it's going to be that lady sitting over here in the black hat we just spend a month together with nobody else nobody else oh there were people around but we didn't spend any time with anybody else with each other I don't know how she put up with it with me going through what I'm going through but she did she kind of likes it a little bit because she's very much of a biblical wife when I'm healthy but when I'm not healthy she becomes the sergeant And I let her because she wants to take care of me. I let her. If I'm sick bad enough, she becomes the general. <laughs> Thankfully, I've never been sick enough for her to become the president. <laughs> but she's capable, she is capable. You cannot separate discipleship from relationship. And I'm quitting, even though I didn't start till five minutes late because the equipment failed. The first 10 years of our marriage, I tried to be a husband by my ability. Who? it didn't work. I don't know how she survived me. I really don't. But the day the Lord opened my eyes and let me see, because there were things I didn't like. I know there were things about me she didn't like, but she was a lot more able to keep them to herself than me. And he says to me one day, Do I love her? I thought about it a minute. I said, Yeah, you really do love her. Well, wouldn't it be best for you to let me let you see what I see about her rather than what you see? Wouldn't it be best for you to let me love her through you rather than you try to love her with your love? Wouldn't that be best? We'd been married right at, right, right at 10 years. It was like a revelation to me. And it changed everything. August 2003, everything changed. We, we would, our building had been gone for six months because of the collapse and the snowstorm. I thought my life had come to the end. I didn't see any way out of the mess. It was a mess. I felt like a failure. It was not good. I didn't have anything to do with the building collapse, but it felt like that. And I had been resisting the ultimate level of discipleship for years. I'd been resisting it. Because I felt like that if I truly gave myself to the Lord to that degree, I would become an automaton. I'd lose my personality. I would cease to be me. Let well, me tell you what happened. By the grace of God, I moved to a level of discipleship I'd never been at before. And it was the most liberating thing that's ever happened to me in my life it was probably the most transformative thing that's ever happened in my life because I have not been the same person. I don't pray the same. I don't view God the same. I don't fellowship with Him the same since that first Friday night of August 2003 as I did the previous years. I received the baptism of the Holy Ghost on the, I think it was the 24th of February, 1958. So from 58 to 03, I grew. God helped me. But everything changed to a completely new dimension. When I finally saw him differently than I'd ever seen him before, I could then see me differently than I'd ever seen me before. And everything changed. Last words of Peter. Second Peter 3.18 grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ if you're just coming to church if you're just putting in your time if you're just trying to be a good person I know this is shocking there's no place in the Bible where the scripture tells us as Christians to be a good person we're called to be disciples of Jesus How can I be a good person when in me that is in my flesh dwells no good thing? The goal is not to be a good person. The goal is to be a disciple of the Lord Jesus Christ. He's good. If he's in me and if he's living through me, then I'm not good, but he is. And my life is good because he's the one doing the living. That's true discipleship. Father, I thank you for your goodness, mercy, your blessings. I thank you for speaking to us today. I pray your protection on this seed of your word, that that the enemy, the adversary, not be able to steal this from us. In Jesus' name, that this word would be fertilized and come up and become all that you'd have it to be in us, so that through your word, You can be all that you choose to be in us and through us. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, amen.